Hey, good afternoon. You are listening to the Alan Carter Show, as you just heard there, here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I am not Alan Carter. My name is Jeff Semple. I'm a senior correspondent for Global National News based here in Toronto, filling in for Alan Carter uh, for the next few days as he takes an extra long weekend, um, marking the end of July. It is uh, something, man. Time is flying this summer. I don't know about you, but uh, looking at the calendar, last couple of days of July, and you know, it's funny, We I was chatting with some colleagues in the newsroom this morning, uh, normally this time of year in a newsroom is brutal. It's sort of the dog days of summer. There is nothing going on, you know, in the news, but news programs still need to be filled. So, you know, you go out and, and try and find something. I mean, you know, you go do stories about how hot it is outside in the summertime, right? You know, those news stories, people getting interviewed on the beach. Oh my gosh, it's hot. It's so hot out here. Uh, one year, I actually remember doing a story at around this time in the summer about fruit flies back when I was reporting for the local news uh, several years ago. Really bad summer for fruit flies, you might remember. Uh, yeah, so that is normally in the news business, uh, certainly, you know, local news. That's what we come to expect this time of year. But, you know, as we know, 2020 has not been a normal year, uh, and the news agenda today, as you heard there off the top, is jam-packed. Lots to talk about in the next hour, so hope you'll stay tuned with us. Uh, just this morning, you know, in one day, we have had first Donald Trump tweeting, as you heard in the news, baselessly claiming that this November election would be, quote, the most inaccurate and fraudulent in history and suggested that it should be delayed, something that he does not have the legal power to do. Gotta wonder if that tweet might have something to do with the latest opinion polls in the United States. But anyway, um, later on today, three o'clock, must-see political TV, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, will be on the hot seat testifying in front of the Finance Committee on Parliament Hill about the WE controversy. But first, this story topping our show today, this is the day that parents have been waiting four months for. In fact, I heard a couple of parents this morning likening today to Christmas morning. You know, they have just been waiting anxiously. They are so excited. Instead of Santa, it's Doug Ford and his top elf, Education Minister Stephen Lecce, who in just over 50 minutes from now at one o'clock Eastern time, we'll be providing a present to parents. They hope one o'clock we will learn the fate of 2 million students, 140,000 teachers in this province after four months of closed classrooms and open questions about what schooling in a pandemic will look like in Ontario come the fall. Finally, we are expected to get some clarity, some certainty about what school will look like and how much it will cost. I saw one GIF making the rounds on social media this morning that shows, you know, a video of a school bus driving off into the distance in the background and in the foreground is mum doing a little jig, a little dance, a little fist pumping, clicking her heels together, saying, have a great day at school, kids, as she waves them goodbye. But we don't know yet whether that gif is an accurate representation of reality. We know that the province earlier on in this pandemic gave school boards three options to look into, online learning only, a hybrid model that would see children attending classes both in person and online on an alternate uh, rotating basis, and finally, the full-time resumption of in-person instruction. So it's going to be one of those three, and we don't know yet what which of the three it will be. We will learn that at 1 o'clock, so of course you'll want to stay tuned to Global News Radio for that. The prediction, though, 
you know, and I think it's a safe prediction, given the noises that we've heard from Queen's Park, from Stephen Lecce, the education minister, from Ontario's premier, Doug Ford, who have said they are certainly leaning towards preferring full-time in-classroom learning. So the kids are all back in class full-time. And you can also look to other provinces across Canada as a guide. Every single province in Canada is moving forward with that model, different variations of it, but that model for full-time in-classroom learning, except for Manitoba and Ontario, the two provinces that have yet to decide. Uh, so that is likely, you know, if you're, if I'm not a betting man, but if I was, that's where I'd be putting my money. That's likely where we're heading. And to talk about a bit about what that could look like, what that should look like, we are joined on the line now by Annie Kidder, who is the Executive Director for People for Education who, of course, um, leading this independent organization that works to support public education in the province. Annie, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Nice, nice to be here, Jeff. And I'm so glad that you don't have to talk about fruit flies. Good. Yeah, thank you. I mean, if there's time left in the show uh, and you've got something you've... Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the high watermark of my career for sure. Uh, so onwards and upwards we go, Eddie. So yeah, from fruit flies to, uh, you know, <laughs> public yeah. education. Of all of our children. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a toss up. But you know, um, we're talking about trying to keep uh, classrooms clean, fruit fly free. That will be one of the considerations, of course. And that doesn't come cheap. Uh, San one of the budget items that certainly we've heard from the TTSB uh, with a number of what that would look like. Uh, TTSB put out their report a, wh- a few weeks ago now saying, you know, proposing a number of models that could cost up to $250 million. The province has thus far said uh, that they're offering $50 million, so quite a discrepancy there in funding. We may see that gap bridged at 1 o'clock. We'll see what the province comes forward with mm-hmm. in terms of a dollar figure. want to ask you, though, what are you expecting to see? What would you like to hear at 1 o'clock from the Premier and the Education Minister? Well, like like you, I, I think that they're going to say everybody's going back to school. And then the big questions will be around, you know, in what form and what kind of extra resources are there going to be there? Money, uh, you know, funding for different kinds of staff um, in order to support that. So I think they've, they've more than hinted a lot in the last couple of weeks that, um, and I think, Most people want kids to go back to school. I think they're, you know, they want some clarity and they they want that. Um, So that the the real sort of information is going to be what's happening around that. What is the plan for back to school? You know, are there bubbles? Are they small? Are they big? Are there, you know, is there going to be money for extra teachers and support staff? How often will schools be cleaned? All of those, that kind of information is what people are really wanting to hear now. Right. And and along those lines, then, what would you consider your priorities? I mean, what do you think should be at the top of, of that list uh, as, it, when it, when it, as it pertains to the precautions? You know, we've seen, you know, people go back to school already in other countries uh, mm-hmm. that were hit before us. We've also seen plans laid out in other jurisdictions just yesterday in British Columbia came out with their plan. So what, what do you make of what, you see, what you've seen and, and how should that inform how we move forward? Well, I think that, I, I think health and safety, you know, we do have to be sure of that. It seems to me, and I am I'm not an expert in this, but, you know, maybe nobody's an expert in pandemics right now. Um, it seems as if the, the idea of having 
quite small groups. BC's groups seem surprisingly large because they talked about sort of groups of, of 60 that stayed within their kind of cohort. So other people in Ontario have um, recommended groups of 15 students in elementary school and sort of rejigging how high school works. So it seems like small groups are a good idea. I think it's also important that we're thinking about the kind of re-entry to school too. So it would be really great to see some thinking about a kind of on ramp, maybe phasings or staging, uh, you know, the re-entry by grade, by whatever, so that we're not thinking it's like first day of school, back to normal, okay, let's learn our times tables, but more let's recognize that that beginning we're going to have to kind of slowly ramp up, um, and there will. I think that it's going to take extra support staff, um, more grown-ups in the school in order to ensure those small groups, but also in order to ensure that everybody's okay. And I'm, and that's, you know, in terms of their kind of mental health too, along with just, you know, these kind of anti-COVID measures. Right. And, and uh, we'll be speaking a little bit later in the program with an expert in health policy and research to unpack mm-hmm. some of the yeah. specifics in terms of, you know, a, you know, ask questions like what, what do we know about COVID-19 in children, yeah. according to the emerging, re- emerging research, which has been a moving target, right? We're, we're learning yeah. as we go here, as you noted. Um, but, You know, there are ongoing conversations now about different specific policies. One of the most controversial ones appears to be masks and questions about whether we should be mandating our kids, our children to wear Mm -hmm. masks in the classroom. Uh, Even that report from Sick Kids Hospital out yesterday suggested that high school students wear masks. Students under the age of 10 shouldn't be required to wear masks, but even then the authors disagreed. There was, a, a, I think, about a third of them who, yeah. who do disagreed with that. So, I mean, it, it's it's a polarizing issue, you know, not only for the society, but for schools and uh, the idea of trying to force our kids to wear masks. I mean, do you think that's even realistic? Well, I don't know. I mean, I loved how honest they were in the report where they said there was a lot of disagreement about this. So, and I think that that's one of the things that's hard about right now um, is that there's, there, we're all kind of figuring this out as we go along, you know, what does this mean and how do I buy groceries? And I mean, we're all, you know, how big is my bubble and does it mean I can hug my adult children? So I think even the mask questions and one of the things I read in other places where kids are wearing masks, they're sometimes in cultures where there's, there, there's been more mask wearing for quite a long time. So kids are more used to it. There are people designing masks especially for kids that maybe they'll be willing to wear. I think we have to think about teachers too here. So um, when, when you're in a classroom um, with a teacher, how, how are we dealing with that? And if you're in a place where masks are mandatory when you're inside, then why aren't they mandatory in schools? But again, I'm just asking these questions. I actually don't know. I feel lucky my children have grown up. Um, but because it does seem as if over the last month or two, there's been growing evidence that masks are helpful both ways around for you know preventing for you from getting the disease and from pre- preventing passing it on. So, but I think again, it's a kind of movable feast. So I I think if I had young kids. 
I would probably want them to wear masks. But I know in the report it said the problem with young kids is they take them off, they touch their face, they don't wear them properly, they, you know, maybe it makes them touch their face more. So, again, I don't have, you know, the one perfect, absolute, you know, right, wrong, black, white answer about masks. I think it's why, for us, one of the things we've been suggesting, I was just looking at BC and they have had this for for at least two months, is that there there should have been and there still could be a task force so that we have um, a kind of collaboration and input from from the health people and teachers and support staff and principals and directors and students organizations and parents so that so that there's a sense that everybody's kind of working together and as new information comes can you know pivot if necessary but that we're not going to end up in a situation where or it would help prevent a situation where the government announces a plan and then various groups go, well, this won't work for this reason or, you know, I, I don't agree with this part. It would have been better and it still could happen. And municipalities that if we had a, a sense of kind of coherence and, and leadership in that way where everybody was getting listened to, I think it would help. I think we'd still be in exactly the same position about masks or no masks, uh, but we'd know a lot of heads had you know, been put together to think about it. Yeah, and you mentioned the BC example, and that plan does not include mandatory masks. They will not be required at school, but will be made available upon request. And as you note, Annie, it's interesting. You hear from health experts pretty much across the board and officials across the board now saying that masks are one of our best weapons. Everyone should be wearing masks in all indoor public spaces. But then when it comes to schools... There's this division. So we will unpack that a little bit more uh, later in the program with an expert on just how helpful masks would or wouldn't be in that context. But for now, we will leave it there. Annie Kidder, Executive Director for People for Education. Good luck with the fruit flies, Annie, and thanks so much for joining us here. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Annie Kidder from People for Education here on Global News Radio. And as I noted, coming up after a very quick break, we will speak with an expert on what the science emerging evidence is telling us about COVID-19 and its risk for kids and how that informs our discussion heading back to school in the fall. But before that, let's take a quick check on the roads with 640 Toronto chopper traffic. Here's Laurie Turcott. All right, now all eyes are on the 401. We've got a new situation, 401 westbound collector off-ramp to Leslie. There's some emergency road work just got started in the right lane. 401 westbound express just past Bayview, stalled vehicle, but now the three right lanes are blocked, so that's morphed into some a little bit more serious. Collector lanes are your best option through here. Now, some good news. Problems on the 401 westbound and the express before the Allen. That crash has been cleared up. You're going to find on the 401 eastbound at the 427 stalled transport truck, two right lanes are are currently blocked. 427 northbound ramp to the eastbound 401. Watch out for a stall vehicle that's sitting in the center lane. Is buying a home even possible these days? Let CIBC Mortgage Advisors show you how remotely from start to finish. Plus, ask their mortgage advisors about getting up to $3,000 cash back. I'm Lori Turkoff with Global News Radio 640 Toronto Chopper Traffic.